Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. This is Dan Abuhop. With Tamsin and Dan read the paper on October 10th, 2021. It's Sunday. Yes. It's a gloomy day. Gloomy, raining, yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's my favorite kind of fall day. It's just kind of overcast and misty and romantic. All we need is a little colorful foliage. Okay, you'll get that no, soon Not enough. quite there yet. Yeah, you'll get it. But we did go for a nice fall bike ride yesterday. Yes, we did. We did a nice little 30-mile ride. That's right. Fall was on its way. Up to Frenchtown. Mm-hmm. And back. And no one was uh, out. I mean, no one was there. Yeah, there were a few people out, but not not yeah. a heck of a lot. Anyways, very nice ride. It's that time of year. Very nice ride. So, uh, yeah. So, in any event, uh, there's a new James Bond movie, honey. New James well, Bond movie. Not not really. Yeah, what do you mean? That? Well, it's not new, but it's it's been released now. No time. Finally. No time to James die. James is ready. No time to die. Yeah, so we haven't seen it. So we're not going to talk about the movie, Qua movie, at any length. It's just interesting. It's out. And they've been waiting and waiting waiting for it. And we have, uh, you have a report from Armand Evers, our man on the scene, Mr. James Bond, number one fan, who actually drives an Aston Martin. Right. And uh, I understand that he uh, lent He didn't his... give me a review. No, but he but lent... But he went to the movie. He lent his car to the proceedings. Well, yes, he parked in front of the movie theater. Right. And uh, to set this, the mood, I guess. He's right under the marquee, and the owner, as part of the arrangement, gave him free passes to the movie, which have not been passed on to us. Uh, and uh, something else. Not, he, he did something else for him. I can't remember what it was. But the owner was thrilled to have the, uh, the car, the Aston Martin, parked under the marquee for the opening of the James Bond film. The Times, uh, you know, the Times are kind of, you know, sourpusses about this kind of thing. So they have uh, a review that they found the movie too serious, but it's not even worth talking about. You know what was, was more interesting uh, to me? And this, I have to credit the Times for coming up with this. It's an interesting thought. The Times um, sort of republished their review of the first James Bond film, which was Dr. No in 1963. And... Uh, Interesting to see what the Times was able to make of that because it was kind of a new and different thing. And here's what Bosley Crowther, the reviewer at the time, kind of well-known, said. Uh, This lively, amusing picture is not to be taken seriously as realistic fiction or even art any more than the works of Mr. Fleming or to be taken as long-haired literature. It is strictly a tinseled action thriller spiked with a mystery of sort. And if you are clever, you will see it as a spoof of science fiction and sex. That's a spoof of science fiction? And sex. Yeah, I mean, and okay. So, <laughs> look, uh, I don't know. It's nice that the Times was out there telling people what to think even then uh, and say, what you should take seriously and what you shouldn't. But what was, in that last sentence, you're right, is a weird sentence. I mean, obviously, it's a tinseled action thriller. Uh, but if you were clever, <laughs> you will see it as a spoof of science fiction and sex. It's not a spoof of anything. It's never been a spoof of anything. Uh, well, it is sort of a spoof well, because it's, it's so... It's not entirely serious. How's yes. that? Um, okay. 
And, uh, you know, a spoof, OSS-117, the French films that we've yeah. talked about, that's a spoof. Right. Okay? But this is the real thing. This is what they're spoofing. <laughs> okay? And, uh, yeah. yeah, but it's not entirely serious. I can tell you that the books, and I've read several of these books, um, are are not a spoof, are not, are not are less amusing. They're, uh, they're, they take themselves that much more seriously, and they're that much more invested in the plot and the mystery. And the... Uh, in the film's plot-wise, at least, hue to the book pretty closely. But but the James Bond character, as embodied by uh, Sean Connery and probably even more so Roger Moore, is a little more tongue-in-cheek, a little more sort of self-aware uh, than the character in the in the books, who's who's you know smooth and suave to a you know a, ridiculous extreme, ridiculous degree, degree right, but yeah. but not self-aware. So in any event. Uh, Spoof, I think, is the wrong word. It's a combination of, you know, it's a self-awareness movie, but there, there's also, there's some driving force of mystery and suspense. And uh, where uh, Craig has taken it, where Daniel Craig has taken it, has emphasized that part of it. I think under, you know, with him as a star as James Bond, it's been the most serious. And this movie is described yeah. as somber and whatever. But we'll see it. We'll, well see who was that review by? Bosley Crowther. Bosley Crowther. You've, you've heard that name. He was the Times reviewer in the 60s. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that's just kind of like a, a caution to the uh, audience. Yeah, it's like... This. no man could be. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. This is a spoof. No man is this smooth, this invincible. Well, he, he, actually, he, he has some remarkable view about it. He's also with too many women. Yeah, he, too many women. It's not real. No one would ever do that. It's not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, not realistic. realistic. Don't expect, right. you know, he's lowering don't expectations e- for the benefit of he Don't and expect his. this of me, dear. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. Guys, don't expect to be able to do this yourself. Exactly. Now, it's, it's for professionals. Don't try this at home. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly right. So, but you were, uh, we got some Well, advice. it's funny. Um, yeah. Number one son. Yes. First son. Granger. Yes. Dropped by yesterday. And uh, we're sitting around, and uh, out of nowhere, he says, Well, Nico and I have been watching uh, a new show. You might like it. I don't know. I don't know if you, you'll be interested. And you said, What's it called? He said, Squid Game. Yeah. And you seem to know about it. I didn't know anything it's my about job it. to know about everything. Kevin. Yes, yes. Okay. And uh, I did know. And, uh, you know. So he said it's it's kind of violent, right? And uh, but uh, it's irresistible. Well, he to his credit, he said, you know, the question is, can you get over the violence? You might not like it for that reason, and uh, but he said if you can uh, deal with that, it's uh, pretty engaging. And and you saw an article in the paper, which and then and then I'm time. I'm like flipping through the Times, and there's a little thing about you know what to do this weekend, yeah. and. The, the top thing is watch Squid Game, yeah. and it and it says that uh, you know the co CEO CEO of Netflix, it's on Netflix, yeah. is saying this is gotten very popular, very fast. It probably is going to be Netflix's biggest thing, yeah. ever. And well, they say it's, it's sort of based it, on it's Korean right? Game of Thrones, right? Oh, Not based on Game of Thrones, but no. it's that kind of idea. It's a game uh, that results in death. Um, we'll have to see. It takes place in Korea, you're yeah. right. And at the center of it, also mentioned in this article I saw, is a particular kind of candy. All right. Um, that's part of the game, 
which is interesting. All right. Uh, so uh, Squid Game, yeah, and but again, you know, I'm not. I the violence may um, disenchant me. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not. Even though I don't find uh, the, the the idea of the plot or whatever at all interesting, mm-hmm. that doesn't disturb me. Because a lot of the things I've really enjoyed, I had no interest in whatsoever. Sure. Again and again and again, I go to see things that I'm interested in, right. and they're terribly boring or, or whatever. So that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess... We'll probably give it a try. It's only execution. It's how they do it. No execution. <laughs> okay. Again, stop with the violence. Yes. All right. So, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> uh, actually, we're continuing with the violence. Well. Which is to say that... Um, death cleanse. We're in the death, the Swedish death cleanse. Yes. We're in the throes of that because we are uh, well, we're, clearing we're things trying, out. Yeah, we're trying to downsize. Yeah. Desperately. And, uh, and there, fortunately, there's an article about that every week in the Times. Yeah, so and, I don't and, even know why we're looking at this article. Time it's the same up. article every time. Well, they're, every they're, single time. And this time, it's just stupid, Daniel. Yeah, why is it stupid? It has a picture on the front. You see this picture? No. Okay. I look at it. Yeah. This is a picture of uh, somebody's junk drawer. Mm-hmm. It's not a legit drunk drawer. It looks like Arab It's not junk. It's not junky at all. No, it's 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 it's, it's, it's completely organized. It's our junk drawer. Everything everything is together. Yeah. You know, um, everything is grouped in logical groups yeah. and tightly wound. Right. And it's, you, you know can what it is? you can open the drawer and shut the drawer. <laughs> I mean, this is not a junk it's drawer. I, I don't even know what this it's, article it's is about. It's our junk drawer on its best day. And and, it's, uh, and, it, and, yeah. and you know, well, for example, no, 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 it's not our junk drawer at all. No, it's not. Our junk drawer is junky. I mean, they have a compartment for old batteries. And the suggestion is that you would throw out an old battery. Who would throw out an old battery? I mean, uh, where is that going to leave you? No, 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 no. I'm very good about that. Are you really? Yes, I recycle the batteries. I I collect them in a particular place. But I don't put them in the junk drawer because the junk drawer is full of useful items. (laughs) Like like what? Okay? Like the tape measure. Yeah, okay. All right? Or, uh, you know, a little uh, paper clip. Some tape, extra keys, thumb drives, miscellaneous things. Yeah. Those are not thumb drives. What are they? Those are lighters. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> but, but so so it's disappointing. You know, it talks about how you know. But uh, once again, you should throw everything away. Right, and they, they have had one or two good points. Uh, one. What, what are they, what they are the good this, points? There's sort of one point. This woman says she's got all these, uh, you know, trophies. Trophies, right? More trophies. And she says, well, someone says, well, you don't want to throw those out. And one day, you know, your kids might be interested in those. And she says to herself, oh, yeah. And then she says, well, wait a second. How many times did the, my parents and, and, and me ever sit down and talk about their old trophies together? I mean, that's just not going to happen. That's a non-thing. That's not exactly what they said. Right, but she right. said, did I ever look at my parents' trophies? Right, no. no. Okay. Same idea. Right. However... Yeah. In our house, we have a rather nice display yeah. of, okay. you know, not participation trophies. Real trophies. But for the kids. Real trophies. But not our trophies. Yes. For my, our trophies? Yes. You never looked at the display? No. Oh, geez. What, what do you have yeah. for me? Do I have a trophy for me? <laughs> you had, you had a, a trophy from camp, whatever it was. Yeah, for what? For baseball? Or I don't know. Something. Who cares? <laughs> but what was the camp? Oxford. Camp Oxford. Yeah. Okay. 
I had a can. I had a wonderful trophy yeah. with Poseidon and a mermaid yeah. because um, I uh, swimming. Yeah, I earned the most points one year in uh, I don't know eight and unders. Okay, <laughs> that's when I peaked uh, at the swim club. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, the kids all at a certain well, point got the um, water polo trophy. Yeah, yeah, the water polo. Player of the Year yeah. trophy. And that's a serious-looking trophy. And, and each of them. Yeah. So, um, we, we're so, going to hold on to a few trophies. And, and we do have uh, one or two trophies of your dad's. Yeah, but I, so I like And those it. are fun. Because they don't take much room. They don't actually take up much room, yeah. and uh, they do ignite conversation. Yeah, bowling you know? trophies. They, they bring back... Uh, all of these things bring back yeah. some kind of memories. All right, we're not but, throwing everything out. But, but the, you know, the problem is the just the... The fungal growth yeah. of well, old clothes. You got to get rid of the old T-shirts. I mean, that's. Uh, the, 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 you, I have no old T-shirts. Well, you know, see, you have every. See, eight, I have you have about every this. T-shirt. I understand that anyone ever gave you for problem. free. But here's the problem. In the years ago, people didn't give T-shirts with uh, writing on it for free. And, and, and the reason you you had to. You're getting caught catching these old T-shirts and are holding on to them because they mean something because they they commemorate some event or something like that. That didn't exist years ago. Now we're stuck with that. So now you have to be strong and throw them out. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> you don't believe I, it. I don't think so. Yes, I am. But anyway, so that uh, so we're flailing about yeah, trying yeah. to throw away things yeah. and and um, we'll do it. you come across a letter. What did you come across? You came across. A note from one of the kids to the tooth fairy. Yeah, we can't throw that out. Can we even throw that out? Can't throw that out. But uh, we're not even sure which kid wrote it. We're not going to throw it out. And every time I say, "Okay, we'll sell this piece of furniture. We'll get rid of this." Somebody else in the family says, "Oh, can't we hang on to that? Someone might need it." Yeah, in the future. Uh, You know, really, guys. Well, that's that's dirty pool. Oh, oh, that's a whole different subject because that takes up room. Look. So, and here's my question. So the article does say yeah. everybody's clearing things out right. because of the the pandemic. So right. you're stuck in the house with all your crapola, right. and now you're noticing, and you want to get rid of it. Yes. So if we're all getting rid of our stuff at the same time, what's going to happen to well, all of it? Well, they say I mean, it's, it's just th- awful. They do say that the thrift stores are overwhelmed with merchandise. Yeah, but I don't even think there's enough people to buy the stuff. There I think we're going to just we're we're just uh, they're going to be full of the landfills. Right, and yeah. so it's just uh, you're you're watching your stuff go from your house, you know, to the landfill, yeah. and you feel even worse about it. All right. You don't right. have it. You're bringing me down. I, say, I, I interpret the article different. To me, the article gives you the moral fiber, the spine, to go ahead and be more ruthless in cleaning things out. That's the utility of the article, and I, that's, that's what I take from it. Every time I say to myself, uh, I, I can't get rid of this, uh, I go to think of the article you know, to give me strength. Yeah, but that's fine if you talk to only people who have no... A uh, sense of family or romance <laughs> or nostalgia All right. All right. in in their whole you bodies. You are the enemy Good. of the death cleanse. Good. I can see where this is going. Yeah. All right. Well, Good. We'll... live in your sterile environment. <laughs> God. All right. We'll be fighting about this for a long time. Uh, so speaking of fighting, um, so the baseball playoffs are on, which is interesting to me because I always watch the Mets, and when I watch these that makes teams, one of us. That makes when I watch these teams in the playoffs, they're playing a different game. It's a different thing. They have different skill sets, and you know we talk about what the people in the game now. Yeah, the people in the game. They, they, they different skill set from who? From the Mets. They're at such oh, a okay. higher level. You know these discussions you get into too deeply. Whoever you root for, in my case, the Mets. If we had this pitcher, we're not one player away. 
We're, we're, we're like, a, we're like a eons away. You have to change right. the whole We're 12 players away. So it's interesting to me. It's eye-opening. I haven't even heard of a lot of these players. And they play a different game. But they do have, and of course, they're all young kids, except the managers. So the Astros, for example, are facing off against the Chicago White Sox in one of the series in the playoffs. And it's the Astros' uh, manager, uh, Dusty Baker, is 72 years old. You say, why? He must be the oldest manager in the playoffs. The Chicago manager is Tony La Russa. He's 77. Uh, you have got the two managers are in their 70s with La Russa 77. And the article uh, is about Dusty Baker's history with Tony La Russa. He says, you know something? Uh, Tony La Russa is the reason I was sent back to the minors when I first came into the league because I was brought up by the Atlanta Braves. And they said, there's no room for you on the team because we have this guy, Tony La Russa, who's a little more of a veteran. He's five years in. You have to go back to the minors. So they say, well, that's a good premise for a story. Grudge match. Yeah. They look it up, and it turns out it's completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And because Dusty Baker is so old, he can't remember anything. (laughs) It turns out that he was sent back to the minors in May, and Tony Russo was only on the team beginning in August. So it's completely (laughs) different. And the reason he couldn't stay on the team is because they had another right fielder. What's his name again? Hank Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. These guys are out of their mind. So in any event... How do you forget uh, Hank Aaron? Well, I, well, he didn't exactly forget him. But, but the point is that um, they've managed against each other for years. Sometimes they've been in the same division, some not. They've always been different teams. It's only uh, LaRusso's first year with the White Sox and Baker's second year with the Astros. But um, but they've managed other teams over the years. Uh, Baker's been 24 years a manager with various teams. LaRusso, 33 33. And so they have a long record against each other. And here's the best part. Their record against each other in regular season, 104 and 104. Really? Yeah. It's pretty amazing uh, stuff. But it is cute that they still, the managers still wear the uniform. Yeah. It's funny. As if they could get out there and run around the bases. Yeah. 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 I mean, they have such a history and it's so forgotten. Matter of fact, it turns out that at one point in his career, Dusty Baker's manager was Tony Larusa. Which he doesn't seem to remember in dark. So. <laughs> Come on. I'm telling you the truth. It's... No, I'm just saying. People, you know, things things get lost. Yeah, apparently. You know, there's only so much room on the bus, yeah. as they say. Yes, there is. There is. So many, so, so much many room for all those memories. Yep. Okay. Um, so, apropos of nothing, there was a... A kind of interesting story. That's always a great story. I think this is the Metropolitan section of the New York Times. Apropos of nothing. Yeah, well, it's just, this isn't in none of my um, areas of interest. It's not about art. Yeah. Um, I think there was nothing about art in the whole whole week of newspapers this week. Um, But anyway, and I'm probably forgetting some uh, huge story. But anyway, uh, this is a story of a long gone base. And the tale behind it. So it's a little bit complicated. All right. Um, A guy, Stephen Ulrich, sees a stand-up bass in a pawn shop in Jersey City. Okay. Okay? He recognizes the bass, partly because along the bottom it says smutty on it. Yeah. Okay? And... uh, he recognizes it because he, Mr. Ulrich, or Ulrich, is a guitarist and composer, was in a band called the Rockets. Yeah. R O C K A T S. Yeah. 
um, with a bass player named Smutty. Yeah. Okay. It was his bass. Okay. All right. So he goes up, he takes a picture of it. He um, goes up to the proprietor and, you know, to ask him how much he wants for it. All right. And the guy says, it's not for sale. All right. Nonetheless, Mr. Ulrich posts a picture of the base on the internet mm-hmm. and uh, gets contacted by Smuddy himself. All right. All right. Because this base was stolen oh. 40 years ago. Oh, oh okay. Oh, right. So the band had a gig in New Jersey, yeah. and uh, one of the guys, most of them live in Manhattan or whatever, one of the guys drives them through the tunnel, back into Manhattan, drops them off, all the gear, all the instruments, etc., in this van or truck or whatever it was. And before he actually goes back through the tunnel, he hops out and has dinner at a diner. Mm -hmm. Has a bite to eat at a diner. And the base is stolen while while he's eating? Not only... The whole... He leaves the truck running because oh, it was God. a cold night. So the car gets And when he comes yeah. out, yeah. it's not there. Right. All right. And eventually the van or whatever is found by the police, but the, um, you know, everything's gone. Right. All right. Meanwhile, the, um, the proprietor of the pawn shop, actually, his name is Manny Vidal. And, uh, he, uh, 40 years ago, was uh, in a band himself. And, uh, I don't know, he was walking to somebody's house carrying his guitar. Yeah. And some of the neighborhood kids said, you know, come over here, look at this. And he's, they show him this bass, and he was curious about being able to play the bass, so he traded his guitar mm. for this bass, okay. and he's had that bass right. for 40 years. Okay. He says he had no idea it was stolen. All right. All right. And he has pictures of, uh, like, you know, 30 years ago, his pregnant wife standing next to the bass, mm-hmm. etc. You know, it seems very clear he's had this the whole time. Right. All right. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, he... He grew up, he had various jobs, he ends up working in a pawn shop, he ends up buying the pawn shop, and he uh, had brought the base in as just kind of a, a point of interest, mm-hmm. you know, just to, um, for people to, uh, you know, conversation starter okay. kind of thing. Doesn't intense. Right, so, so anyway, yeah. Smutty gives Mr. Vidal a call. Yeah. And uh, under the name Stephen Dennis Smith, his given name. Meanwhile, Smutty now is uh, living in Ireland. He has uh, three kids. He works at a homeless shelter with drug addicts and is the host of a radio show called Devil's Jukebox. Okay. All right. And once in a while, he plays a gig. He wants his bass back. Yeah. And the guy says, uh, you know, um, I understand but uh you know uh i'm you know um it's mine yeah right. so so how do they resolve it and he well he said well you could he said uh, i figure if you really want it you should pay me about four thousand dollars 
mm-hmm. because that's what his guitar that he traded for it would be yeah. worth right. in today. Okay. Right. I don't know. You watch Antiques Roadshow. Those old guitars could be yeah. worth okay. a lot. I don't know. And he says, uh, this guy know, no, forget it. Yeah, forget right. it. And uh, so right now they've got it down to, they're dickering away. Yeah. And um, right now the price stands at 500 Smutty has offered, I think, 400 <laughs> He says he doesn't have 500 just sitting around. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, we'll, right. we shall see. All right. Well, look, we'll see. Uh, you know, under the law, the guy who, uh, who's who got the he traded the guitar for bass is a pretty good case that he can keep it, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah. We discussed this before. I know. This is like the museum thing, isn't yeah. it? The yeah. holder in due course. Hold, yeah. Um. But, you know, if they work it out, uh, great. Uh, great. All right. So, um, I was going to do something about celebrity hobbies. Yeah, I think this is totally lame, but if you want to. I think I can beat the base story, honestly. Uh, the celebrity hobbies, uh, but I'm not going to dwell on it because I started to tell you that there was a wonderful article about Sutton Foster, who we all like, being uh, <laughs> interested in crocheting. She's a book on crocheting. Turns out she crochets in her spare time. And has uh, gotten through some rough periods in her life by crocheting. And you said you were just laughing hysterically as to how not interesting that is. So well, because I, that's just, I mean, uh, you know, all right. that's just a pretty normal story. I understand. Like, millions I, listen, of people you, do that. No, you're okay? these but it's are, special because it's no, an actress? Here's the real point. The real what? point is these are pandemic stories. People have time. They're doing stuff. You're going to miss these stories when the pandemic think? is no, behind us. No, I'm not going to miss these stories. When the pandemic's no, they, behind us. They've always been printing these stories. I remember years ago, you know, reading about Rosie O'Greer. Yeah. Uh, knitting well, or whatever. Did you do knitting? Rosie O'Greer. He wasn't Irish. It's Rosie Greer. Okay. Rosie Greer. Yeah. Rosie O'Greer. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, they're, they're always writing about, right. you know, celebrities. But this uh, I found, this is irresistible. Matthew Reese, Matthew Reese has a boat that he charters in Brooklyn. Matthew Reese, of course, the great actor, right, from great the Americans. Actor? Yeah, I think he's I great. I think you're getting carried away And here. Perry Mason, which we didn't like so much, a little dark. But the point is, Matthew Reese is, uh, you know, famously uh, partnered with Carrie uh, Russell, his co-star in the Americans. Get, he's Welsh. He gets it in his head. That uh, he said he's drinking one night, and he comes across on eBay this wooden boat, uh, and he says, "Hey, maybe I should buy this wooden boat." And I won't—I'll spare you the details, but he ends up buying a wooden boat, which he later discloses is an incredibly stupid thing to do because wooden boats have a lot of issues. Like but the, he's into wooden boats before he buys. He is it, right? the wooden boats. He's into he, the, he and he's charters into the them. 30s. And he goes for rides. On yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, likes, so he has he a weakness. likes wooden boats. It's a, called a 1930s Wheeler Playmate. Uh, Ernest Hemingway once owned one. He's into Ernest Hemingway. And not only that, but um, it has a name. I think it's called the Rare Bit. And he says to himself, this is fantastic because I'm Welsh and there's Welsh Rare Bit. So this is like, you know, kismet. Do people still eat Welsh Rare Bit? They do on his boat. When he charters it now, he serves Welsh Rare Bit once we in a while. We used to eat that all the time at as Commons, kids. At Commons, they had it too. No, my mother would school. make it. Yeah. It was like whole wheat toast if, if you're, it's, and a slice of hard-boiled right? egg. And it's like melted and cheese. Pour melted yeah. cheese on top. It is either kind of really fun to eat or it's gross, um, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. Uh, but I didn't run into it until college. I, you know, I said, it's a Gentile food, you know. I said, wow, look at this. Um, and I did get into it for about three weeks, and then uh, I don't know. 
Lost it. They so serve no, that at college? Oh, yeah. In commons, yeah. S- Sunday. Sunday mornings. Ha- oh. Yeah. It was kind of gross looking. But uh, in any event, uh, so the story is about him uh, restoring this boat, mostly hiring this woman to have her restore the boat. And uh, they worked on it together. And he's totally into it. And now he's the boat's in Brooklyn, and it's out uh, for charter. I mean, he's again, I mentioned he's into Hemingway. Uh, and as a result, um, he has, uh, oh yeah, he named his charter company Movable Feast. And the website asks, for whom the boat tours. So, <laughs> but apparently... You, you just like Matthew Reese. I do. Well, Because I know you're not interested in boats. We're, we're kindred spirits. And, and uh, he goes out... Similar once, accent. Well, he has a very strong... You don't get to hear it too much. He doesn't play with these Walsh characters. But he really has a very, very strong accent. I thought it was a gag first time I heard him. Like Christian Bale. You ever hear Christian Bale interviewed? You wouldn't no. even know it's him. Um and uh, but the point is, he shows his mother might his his mother might, but I wouldn't. I mean, I thought it was a joke when I first heard him. I thought he was putting on the interviewer, but that's the way he talks. His Cockney accent. But in any event, he. I don't uh, think Cockney's. What are you? I, I jump over to Christian Bale. Okay, I'm, I'm back and forth. I'm a speed right. of light. But my. You're point, not saying that Christian Bale is Welsh. No. Okay. I'm saying that Matthew Reese is Welsh. Right. Okay. As is uh, Richard Burton, as a lot of great actors are, as it mm-hmm. turns out. Mm-hmm. But uh, my real point is this: if we chartered this boat. In Brooklyn, there's half a chance that Reese would show up as the steward on the on the charter tour. Does it say and that? It does say that. Really? And, and he, and matter of fact, he serves Welsh rarebit once in a while, <laughs> which he makes with a blowtorch on the boat. You didn't read this article. I could, I could see. I fell asleep while I was trying to read it. Can you imagine? We're out there on the boat by no. the Statue of Liberty, no. and you smell the Welsh rarebit oh, being no. made with a torch, and who comes in but Matthew Reese? No. Huh? All right, just think about that. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying not to. All right, go ahead. You have. Uh, you yeah. have, Speaking of food, um, you had a recipe that's a killer. Well, recipe. you know, the New York Times has a yeah. recipe in the magazine section every week. Yeah. And uh, this week, it was miso maple loaf cake. Yeah, it's unbelievable. There's only one person in America who would read that, and that would be you. Miso maple loaf cake. It's written by Dory Greenspan, yeah. and um, it's a little incongruous. <laughs> She writes a, an article about how, you know, how funny it is when you get uh, interesting ideas and you don't always write them down. Yeah. Okay. And yet she's writing something down. Which <laughs> yeah, is, she yes. sort of wrote parts of this down. <laughs> yeah, she, was, she was apparently uh, in love with a recipe. She was making um, salmon with a miso maple glaze. As one does, yes. And somehow she said, she leaped into saying, this would make a great cake. Yeah. You know, a uh, loaf. Yeah. And uh, she said, there's something, you know, kind of in between sweet and savory, mm. between the, the interplay of maple yeah. and miso. Yeah. And uh, it, that umami thing, I don't yeah. know. And, you know, I looked at it because uh, cooking with miso can be a fun thing. Yeah. Uh, and um, I know you make miso soup now. No, I make well, I make miso soup, you know, out of the packet, right? Add the boiled yeah, water, water, yes. Right. But I, I miso ice cream, we have yeah. always enjoyed. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, it doesn't seem like it would be the perfect ingredient for ice cream, but it is. Yeah. It's fabulous. So when we have, what's the ice cream that's like salted caramel ice cream? And people miso. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's so that it does same magical things. Yeah. All yeah, right. Right. So I, I may have to make this loaf cake, okay. and um, uh, I will uh, give it a shot. Yeah. She said, it, you know, it's not, it's not so sweet, um, but it's, uh, 
Very satisfying. You can toast it. You can put uh, miso maple loaf cake okay. by Dory Greenspan. All right. So here is... Uh, Give it a try. Robert Shipman passed away. He was described in the Times, an inventive guru of the microwave. He was devoted to the microwave oven. Didn't invent it, but he uh, sort of invented uh, things that go with the microwave. It had, it's not really quite explained. But he well, it's be, how to use the microwave. Right. He held 28 how, patents. How to make the most of the microwave. Patents. I don't know what the patents were for. I can't imagine. But it, was for, it was for a lot of cool stuff. Okay. Did you even read the article? I read the article. Okay, it was for things like um, sanitizing dental equipment. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Or finding a way to, uh, you know, he w- would invent pots that, uh, oh, yeah. there's one Dishes. kind of container yeah. that when you use it, it allows the um, microwave not only to cook, to heat up what's inside, but uh, causes it to brown as yeah. well, which is the problem because... Um, well, it's a challenge. It's not a problem. He's, well, he's miso, the problem. Uh, miso. Um, microwaves cook the inside of yeah. food very right. nicely, heat right. up the inside very nicely, right. but don't heat up the outside, which is why, well, it is a problem in, in some senses, yeah. right? The, think of French fries. Well, he explains that my... Why do French, why is well, the French fries soggy when you it, reheat them the in answer the microwave? Is, he says because the air in a microwave is cold. Right. So the inside is warm, the air is cold, and it keeps them limp and... Disgusting. Here's a, did you know uh, ice doesn't melt in a microwave? No, I didn't know that. Uh, I never wanted to heat up my ice. <laughs> it can barely absorb absorb microwave energy. I mean, he made he's actually uh, he's asked at what point what happens if a spider goes into a microwave? What, yeah. what happens? And he says the spider would probably wouldn't be hurt because the waves are too big; they wouldn't pass through the spider. But if the spider is on a plate, the plate's going to get pretty darn hot. That's He's gonna fry. News. Yeah, the bad news for the spider. Um, I mean, so I mean, he was part of the, he. He was uh, convinced that there was you could do a lot more with the microwave well, he than did just a lot. heat things up. Yes. And that, people have always said that. And uh, when they're selling new microwaves, they say you can do so much more. You're an idiot if you're just reheating your leftovers. Yes, if that's right. all you're doing with your microwave, right. well, he... but that's all we're doing with our microwaves, <laughs> is it? <laughs> He said, first I mean, aside from making popcorn. He said he created microwavable caramel popcorn, which I think is a probably a little more challenging than just regular popcorn. He, he crust for microwavable frozen pot pies, huh? Mm-hmm. Microwavable oatmeal, and a microwave crisper. I think that's what perhaps you were talking about at the outset. His quote is this: "Microwaves are my friends. I am, uh, I imagine them. This is the waves bouncing around inside an oven." And think about how the product in there looks to them. And the thing I like the most about this article yes. is when he gets his job, he answers an advertisement yeah. for a physical chemist with a sense of humor yeah. at DCA Food Industries, right. a bakery equipment maker. Okay? Well, I, I don't know. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, HR they got the right at guy. DCA writing up that. Uh, yeah. One dead. uh, They got the right guy, Tim. Yeah. All right. So finally, there's a column called Final Calculation, Columnist Says Farewell. This is in the Wall Street Journal. It's a column that's been written every uh, week for the past year or so called The Numbers by a woman named Joe Craven McGinty. Apparently, she's moving on to write on another assignment for the Wall Street Journal. And I tend to read this, something about numbers, but it really is about whatever she feels like writing about, and there are a few numbers inevitably which creep in. So there's no consistent theme. But she did have, uh, she collected some fun facts 
that uh, she's uh, become aware of while she's been writing the column. Uh, there are 25 of them. I won't give you 25. But uh, it's a quiz. It's in the form of a quiz. But I'll give you three or four here. And uh, they're kind of interesting. Okay, so here's a good one. According to the U.S. Federal Reserve, this is a good yardstick to gauge a potential romantic partner's promise. A, credit score. B, investment portfolio. What do you think? Credit score. Yes, the answer is a credit score. People of higher credit scores are more likely to form committed relationships. Okay, you're, you're, you're hot. What portion of NCAA... You, should, you think I'm hot. You should see my credit score. <laughs> That's very good there. What portion of NCAA... Uh, at Division One athletic departments generate enough revenue to cover the expense of their sports programs. We've talked about this. What would you guess? What percent? Um, ten percent. Yeah, it's the answer. I, I haven't read this article. Well, you, you are on fire. What can I say? We're almost finished. Okay, here's one. Uh, according to the online dating service Match, straight men with this pet have a five percent lower like rate compared with straight other straight men. And the choices they give you are bow constrictor or a cat. <laughs> cat. Cat. You, you, you're a genius. What can I say? Okay, I'm going to give you only two more. Uh, this is the only hard one. The next one is just funny. With a lifespan of as much as 512 years, this animal is the oldest known living vertebrate. A, Galapagos tortoise, or B, Greenland shark. Again, lifespan of 512 uh, years. I have no idea. It's Those the, tortoises live a long time. I know, but at the end, yeah, the Greenland shark. shark, yeah. Okay, uh, probably because they put the tortoise with the shark, and that's the end for the tortoise. So here's the last one. Uh, and this has been a, uh, a question that has plagued all mankind, or at least womankind. Researchers have ruled out this possible explanation for why women clean more than men. A, men don't see the mess. Or B, men don't mind the mess. Which is it? Which is the reason that men are really hopeless when it comes to cleaning the house? And I, I don't think that you've raised this issue before, but I remember my mother standing in front of us, the three brothers, and saying, is it that you don't see the mess or is it that you don't mind the mess? Yeah, I mean, I've always wondered, what does she say? <laughs> and the answer is... Uh, they don't mind the mess. because they How do you would, even measure that? Because they went, they showed pictures of these various uh, rooms and habitats, and they got the exact same reaction and same grades for men and women as to how much of a mess there was, thereby proving men see the mess. So, but it see, doesn't bother them. Apparently not, because they don't do anything about it. So there you go. I, I you know, I think when my mother asked me, "Is it that you don't see the mess or you don't mind the mess?" I said, "Probably both." I've I've been always telling myself that you don't see it. Well, I, I, I've been giving you a break that way. I'm very. He near, can't clean it up if he doesn't see exactly. it. Exactly. I'm very near sighted. Okay. I'm very near. Now that I know, I'm going to have to change my attitude. <laughs> I thought that was a very insightful question. The, the ending one of you know solving one of life's greatest mysteries. All right, so there we are. We're going to go back to. Uh, well, you have a giant fall. game you want to watch. Yeah, that's going to ruin my afternoon for sure. Uh, I'll, uh, and I will go. I'll get a back to the in. death cleanse. <laughs> will be God. the death of me I know alright so until uh, next week uh, uh, this is Tamsin Granger and uh, Dan Abuha with Tamsin and Dan read the paper bonsoir <laughs>